0: chapter 6 verses 6 through 10 about the importance of contentment and not seeking missions and uh, he turns here to tell Timothy what to teach the rich people. Now in this whole book he's done a lot of telling Timothy what to teach, the instructions to pass on, and basically how to serve as an evangelist uh, in working with the brethren at Ephesus. So these are the instructions that he is to pass on to the rich people, and uh, we talked a little bit uh, about the fact that we are rich, and this should not be seen as instructions for other people, because by almost any measure you could ever measure us by, we are rich, in comparison with anybody a couple of centuries ago. We have tons of stuff nobody ever dreamed of then. We're rich in comparison with virtually every other country in the world. And much richer than most. And really, I mean, for most of us, we live a more prosperous life even than most Americans not. Perhaps we don't all technically make more money, than some Americans, but God has blessed us with, you know, the ability to manage it with good circumstances with a low cost of living here and whatever. And so really, I mean, we worry about You know what we're going to eat how we're going to pay the bills and things like that probably less than most people do even in the U.S. so really it would be hard to come up with a standard of measurement by which by which we would not be rich and so i really think we need to look at passages like this and and take them to heart so 17 and
1: Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed.
0: You certainly see the uh, dominant word in this passage, don't you? Well translated by the New American Standard. What word does he keep playing with? Rich. Rich. Instruct so those who are rich in this present world, not to pick their, their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies with all things to do. instruct them to do, do good, to be rich in good works. So four times he, he uses various forms of that word rich, and that's true also in Greek. Um, so that's what he's uh, working on. And he really has several instructions for the rich. What are they? Not to be conceited. What do they mean by that? You mean what's the definition of conceited? Well, how does being (laughs) rich fit with being conceited? What's conceited? Okay, what's conceited? (laughs) What's he trying to say by that? I
1: think you're better
0: than others just because you have money. That's part of it. I think he's going to step beyond that.
1: sufficient
0: Yes. There is something about riches that tends to make us feel secure, tend to make us feel self-sufficient and self. like we can handle everything ourselves and so I think he's saying you would be proud if you trust in your riches and your ability to make money and to supply the things you need instead of uh, trusting in God Um, so I think I think he really is linking those ideas don't be proud And don't and therefore don't have this idea that my riches are going to take care of. Trust in God. He's the one that you ought to see yourself as being dependent on. I think that whole attitude is a big issue for us. I mean, um, what are you going to eat tomorrow? Give much thought to that. You know. Why haven't we given much thought to that? It's a given. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if we have, you know, three feet of snow, we got plenty of stuff in the cupboard, you know, whatever, in the refrigerator. I mean, we could go for how, how long, you know, and survive fine on whatever we've got laid in. And, uh, you know, what if we got sick? What would happen? We go to the doctor. We got the hospitals. We got medicine. You know, we've got cures for you know nearly anything that that ails us. You know, and and so forth and so. What what if uh, what if a fire burned down our house?
2: Insurance.
0: We got the insurance. You know, we rebuild. <laughs> I mean, pretty soon we don't really feel that dependent because we've got uh, sort of our own way worked out to take care of anything of any emergency of any need and i think that leads us to trust in those riches and a false sense really of security i mean i don't know i mean a lot of times riches don't carry you as far in this life as you think they will i mean you see a lot of examples of people who had a lot of money and before you know it they don't have anything you know the business doesn't do well they get in debt you know there are certain disasters that aren't covered by insurance they get sick and you know whatever you to you might die and nobody can control that i mean the riches won't last you past your death and that could happen you know with a heart attack you know at any moment with a car wreck at any moment i mean there's really no security force, us, but, but being rich makes us feel like there is and makes us not think so much about how we depend on God all the time for every breath we draw. So that's one thing. The rich people have to work on their attitude to, to sense their dependence on God. Comments some thoughts on that idea?
3: It reminded me of the lecture that we had on to Bob about how little they have and how willing they are to focus on the Lord and study on the what He says. And I guess that has a lot to do with what, how little they have. They don't have anything else they can focus on. It's all
0: the Lord. The less you have, it would surely seem to me the more appealing heaven would be and the more you'd be willing to do whatever you needed to do to get there because you do not have anything to do. And yeah, he was talking about what are, these people had come like several hours on foot. Well, so there were
3: days. Some of them walked days. Like two days was the longest one. Walked there. Yeah.
0: One of them brought a chicken with a burger. Yeah, I, I was telling John that that was a cool story. These people in Zimbabwe. It was it was encouraging to to hear this, discouraging too, really. Really emotional. Yeah. But you know, Bobby kind of was showing slides and so forth, and and they have absolutely nothing. I mean, <clears> the <throat> dictator is the fourth largest, the fourth richest person in the world. And his country is starving to death. They have no food. He showed us a slide of the supermarket, empty shelves. He said, it's not just there's no money to buy food, there's no food to buy. There is nothing to do. And he said, most people are living on like three meals a week. And women are feeding their little kids sand and eat their food because it satisfies them. There's it's stories like that. But in connection with that, and this was cool. I mean, I was just telling John that he, uh, he said, this this Christian lady came to him with a, with a live chicken and and gave it to, to Bob. He had two or three young people with him, I think, on this trip. And uh, said, Bob said, what well, do you want me to do with this? She said, it's for you to kill and cook and eat. He said, oh, well, you need this worse than I do. And she said, no, you don't understand. We don't eat all the time. We're used to it. We know how to deal with it but you're used to eating and you're feeding us spiritually and teaching us the word and we can't allow you to get sick. You need you need to eat this. And, you know, he felt really bad and tried to get her to take it and knew that, I mean, he said normally when he goes, he eats when they eat, even if, he said sometimes they go for two or three days and not eat, but he'll eat when they eat. He tries to find food to buy for them, but a lot of times he just can't find any food to buy. And, uh, but that, that he finally did that. But you just think about, I mean, for her, whether she eats that chicken or not, she's not going to have food enough to satisfy her. I mean, she's still at a starvation level, you know, and just had a chicken one week, you know. Uh, but, but going to heaven, being with the Lord, having hope after she dies, that's what really counts. That's what she was concerned about. I mean, it almost seemed to me like she wasn't doing anything it almost wasn't so much generous as almost just the earnest desire to know more about the lord to to have that hope that's and, and if you have nothing in this life that would be what you'd crave because you're going to be hungry no matter what you do it chicken's not going to last you for the rest of the year and you know wow we're just in such a different lifestyle so i thought that was that was really good
3: so do we pray that we don't have as much as we do or do we just do it
0: well that's not what he says to do here i don't know that that's necessarily the goal although there may be times to pray that certainly times not to seek the material status um, but, but I am impressed with one thing here that I think <clears throat> I should not overlook, that I think balances this a little bit. In verse 17, what does God provide riches to us for? To enjoy. To enjoy. God gave us these things to enjoy. He is not trying to say that it's bad to have blessings from God. He's not saying that it's bad to enjoy them. Now, he's certainly going to say some things in verse 18 that will uh, at least modify the way in which we enjoy them. I like this. <laughs> <Check> Try <it>. again. <laughs> you
2: knew what was me, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Who else would stand out there in the cold knocking? <laughs>
4: knock and I don't
3: mind
0: at all. Get my oh. Cheeto. Please. If you work, i will make sweet for all of oh. Cheeto. I'll himself for these are all right. You're gonna get hot. That's all right. So we're in First Corinthians or First Timothy six, looking at seventeen to nineteen. So I mean, you know, there is sort of an aesthetic attitude that we should never have any material pleasure and i don't think that's biblical. i think we ought to be grateful for the blessings god gives us but he does give us blessings to enjoy it's not that we ought to feel guilty about enjoying something god has given some of the blessings god has given are not even material and we have the right to enjoy those and we should and be grateful to god So God has richly supplied us with all good things to enjoy. Um, So I don't think having riches should give us some kind of a guilt complex. I don't think it's that. But in 17, we shouldn't trust in them. We shouldn't put our security in them. They shouldn't make us feel self-sufficient. Other thoughts on 17? It seems sometimes that we put our
2: hope in the riches that we don't have yet. Isn't <laughs> that... Point. I mean, I, I sort of get that feeling. It's like, yeah, riches would would uh, secure me, but I don't have them yet. <laughs> you know, I need to obtain that, and then I'll be secure.
0: So my hope is in the riches that I don't yet have. And that's more versus 9 and 10, those who want to get rich. Yes. And you've got that problem. You know, have you already spent your tax rebate check? But you might get if you do all that uh, you know but I wouldn't be surprised there are some people who have you know before they even know whether it will come out or not uh, you know that's kind of the way we are you know we just are so eager for things we can't have that we've got whatever blessing we have material we need to have very in a very detached way it's not important it's not something we pray yeah, we can enjoy it, and we thank God for it. But if we have it, we have it. If we don't, we don't. And that's hard to have that mentality. I think it's a great point, though, and it's also a warning
3: to us and saying you better enjoy it or else I will take it away. You think about chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, how he's, how he's talking about the man that was given all these things and the Lord didn't give him the bill to enjoy it. And he took it away and gave him So, in the same way, if we don't enjoy what we have we put too much dependence on what we have, so we're just going to take it away.
0: Absolutely. And you know why we don't enjoy things so often is this because I wish I had that. And if I if I ever get to this point, then I will start enjoying things. And of course that's a never ending cycle. You never enjoy anything because you always wish you had something else, something more. (laughs) Well what about verse eighteen? What are the rituals supposed to do?
1: else is supposed to do. Which is? To uh, uh. do good. Enriching good
0: And so you see that God gives us riches to use in serving others. And to the extent we are blessed with financial prosperity, we need to be generous, ready to share, eager to use those things in the work I think there's a concept, you see it a lot in 2 Corinthians 8, with the idea of the equality principle, that some who have an abundance and some who have lack. Now, God wants everyone to have what they need. He wants the lacks to be supplied. God could have chosen to do that directly. God could have seen to it that every person had an adequate amount for what they needed. That's not the way God chose to do it. God chose to give some an abundance and others a need with the intention that those that have the abundance would share with those who have the need and that those that have the need would receive from those who have the abundance. That's a part of God's principle. That's how God achieves the equality that he wants, particularly in 2 Corinthians 8 among brethren. And so when God has given us riches and abundance, God intends for us to use those in serving others to use those for the Lord I really believe every blessing God gives us he wants us to use in his service there are some people who have more time than other people do they have more ability to control their schedule etc there are people who retire and they have an income they don't have to work I believe God intends us for us to use that extra time they're young people don't have nearly as many responsibilities they have more time that's a blessing God gives. I think he intends for us to use that blessing in serving and growing and helping, not just to sort of selfishly indulge ourselves in whatever it is. Well, I've got all this money. I'm going to enjoy this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to take that and, and whatever. Not that it's wrong to enjoy. But the enjoyment needs to be tempered by the instructions to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And it's interesting he says four things in verse 18. You know, and he could just say, instruct them to be generous. That would have covered it. But he says it four times, I think, really intending us to be sure that we understand that the greater our means of doing good, the greater our obligation is to do the good. And when God gives us a lot, he intends for us to use that. Storing up this good foundation for the future. It's kind of like laying up treasures in heaven from Matthew 6. When we invest in the Lord and his people, then we're storing up a much greater treasure for us. Earthly riches are insecure, but this good foundation is solid. We can count on it. Comments and thoughts? with?
2: our money, Or share our blessings. I mean, share, you know, generous with them, how? Blow
0: <laughs> Good question. What do you see Christians in the first century doing? What do you see them commanded to do?
2: It seems more like they were preventing their brothers from starving to death. <laughs> Doesn't it? The famine. Jerusalem, or was it, or wherever they sent the the money?
1: They were supplying Paul's needs on his journeys.
0: Yeah, I think that's instructive to just see there's just a lot of passages in the New Testament about being generous with those who have needs, especially with brethren who have needs sometimes there are passages you don't even think about along that line. For example remember what the rich young ruler was told to do? give to the poor? Yeah, sell what he had and give it to the poor. We often think he was unwilling to sell what he had. We kind of focus on that. But God told him sell and give to the poor. You know, that's interesting. I mean, would we ever think about doing something like that? Or I've always been impressed with a verse that I don't hear other people using very often. But Luke 12, 33, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. You know, sell what you've got and give. Now, I don't think that means liquidate every asset for every person and give every dime away. Um, And I think there are passages that would show us that it's possible for a Christian even to be rich, like this one, in 1 Timothy 6. But it does mean we've got a responsibility to give to those who need it. So I think that I think giving to needy brethren, especially, and to the extent we have opportunity, needy other people. I think that's a very important responsibility. And just really stressed in the New Testament. And then as Anita pointed out, sharing with the spread of the gospel. Uh, there's a number of passages I don't know if you've ever looked at these but there's several of them where you see brethren sending someone on their way in the preaching of the gospel the idea of sending them on their way is the idea of providing for transportation for their needs for whatever whatever, uh, blessings they need in order to be able to go on and accomplish their work I think about uh, a good passage along that line Uh, Again, one that I don't hear used as often, but is 3 John, verse 5. Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they're strangers and they've testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles, therefore we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So there is, you know, sending these brethren, apparently preachers who were traveling, send them on their way, support them. They didn't take anything from the non-Christians. They went out for the sake of the name, the name of the Lord. And so he's encouraging Gaius to be generous in supporting them. I might suggest one other thing along this line. I think when we say some of those things, sometimes we come back in our mind with, well, yeah, but we live in a rich country. There's really no needs. I don't know anybody who needs anything. Well, the truth of the matter is there are probably more needs than we think there are, if we really look. There are people who need help in this country. There are single moms, and there are people who have various calamities and situations in which they need help. It's not like everybody, you know, we, we, we I, I grew up almost with the concept that, you know, anybody who has any financial need, they're just a lazy bum who won't do anything. Well, there are some lazy bums who won't do anything, and the Bible says, man won't work, neither let him eat. I understand that. But there's not always a situation by any means. But... I'm also impressed by the fact that in the first century, some of, the, some of what they did was sending to needs of brethren they'd never met. They knew Paul, they knew about the situation in Jerusalem, they'd send money to another client, um, and, and as they sent to the preaching of the gospel, they're giving money to these brethren who've come through who are going elsewhere to preach. Um, so if we're having a hard time maybe being as generous as we want to be we may need to broaden our horizons and realize there are lots of opportunities um and uh, we might even pray about that sometimes I, I don't think we ought to just give indiscriminately uh, I see how in foreign countries in Brazil just you know people just you know unreasonably giving money away has not always helped. Sometimes that can be harmful. And sometimes it has been. Harmful. So we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. We need to, to, you know, do what we do constructively to be helpful. But there's lots of opportunities. We need to to pray about those and look for those, and uh, and let God guide us as He opens doors for us to do various things. Other comments about the instructions
4: to the rich? Concepts that are easy to, oh, I think, technically understand, but hard to emotionally get your arms around it, and
0: hard to stick with, hard to stay consistent. I agree. I mean, I, I it's hard from my perspective because I grew up so much with the idea every man for himself. You know, you don't take anything from anybody, you don't give anything to anybody. You know, I don't know that I was ever taught to me, but this is kind of the culture I grew up in. Where people I was around, it's more that kind of an idea. And I I, mean, I struggled, I think, more when I first became a Christian for the first few years, even reading like Acts two and Acts Four and some of those things where the brethren were so so open with just sharing with other brethren what they had because it really kind of made me feel bad. It's like, I wouldn't do that. This is mine. You know, it just, it's just like, wow, I mean, <coughs> what they're doing is just different from what I would do, from what I've seen. And, you know, it's really been, I mean, this is not a, a great thing for us or anything, but, but it's really been a blessing it, with the Brethren New Salisbury, it's really, the first group I've been a part of where the group has actually really been active in, you know, helping people benevolently out of the treasury. You know, I mean, brethren, I mean, you know, and in, in, in the last several years, I mean, a decent percentage of what the church has spent has been spent in helping people. And it's really been helped. Because I, I just hadn't really seen that, and it's made me think differently. And so the brethren there, a couple in particular, are just extremely generous. You know, they are constantly, you know, doing things for people who need it. You know, um, there was, this was really cool, there was uh, one time a while back, where there was a young lady in the group, hadn't been in the area long, and there was some vandalism to her car. She had a couple of windows broken out of her car. And I called a brother, I knew she didn't have much money, I called a brother just to find out where it would be cheapest to go to get it fixed. I, never, I hadn't had that money. And he said, well look, I've got a car, don't use. And this man's wife is not a Christian, so he was careful about propriety and some of this. But he arranged for me to come and get the car, take it to the girl, pick up her car and bring it to him, and said he'd take care of it. Well, he not only took care of the windshields, but he had to taken to the mechanic, and you know, did tune-up, and I don't know what all, whatever needed. Well, that was really cool. I mean, that that kind of thing was a almost creative way of, of being generous. And, and you know, there, I know someone else in the group that, wow, is constantly It doesn't make a lot, but it's constantly looking for people who need help, even in the group, and does a lot of things like, uh, every once in a while, I'm the conduit for, you know, would you give this to this person so they don't know where it came from? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Really, (laughs) really encouraging. And, And seeing people who don't have just tons of money, aren't living in, you know, plush circumstances, but seeing others who need it more, just give the money. And uh, that's really been helpful to me because I haven't seen very much of that. And it's made me think more. It's made me see the need for myself to be more generous and less thinking, well, why would I do that? I, mean, I
1: have a related question that has to do with giving some money to the treasury of the church and using some money individually, do I, I guess I really don't know what you're supposed to do with that because in Acts two, they sold their possession and laid it at the feet of the apostles who distributed it. And you see other places I think where you know, they used collective the funds for a lot of things. But yet this I read as individuals, and I you know. I don't know, how do you strike a... Is there a balance that you're supposed to strike, or is it as you see the needs of both the congregation and the individual?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question. I have some ideas, at least, and others may have better or more. Um, I do think there's (laughs) responsibilities. that he gives here to individuals and others where you see the church involved as a collectivity. So I think certainly there are responsibilities both ways. Um, when I think I think that we certainly should see that often the church itself collected money together to provide for needy brethren, that is a pattern you see now I say that because I grew up and in most places where I've been if somebody needed something no one would think about the church doing it it would be well let's you know take, take up a little separate little collection among some people who would do it and give it there are some times when I think that has to be done that way uh, because of the ambiguity of the situation or if was a non-Christian or something like that. But when it's a member in the congregation or a Christian somewhere else that that is a good character, it seems to me that there's plenty of biblical pattern for us to do that as a congregation. So I think we ought to consider that maybe more than we do. (coughs) On the other hand, I want to say this. This is really a little different question. But... When I moved to Brazil, um, uh, about uh, two two families and three singles moved to a church that wasn't giving very well, even on their incomes. But I think their giving would have amounted to about ten dollars a week. Now, if we had all given, you know, I don't know, uh, ten percent of our income or something like that that church, that would have been a total disaster. Uh, That group wouldn't know what to do with that. Had no purpose or plan for that. I don't think that would have been at all. We didn't do that. Uh, I segregated a certain amount of money uh, and kind of earmarked it for special spiritual purposes along with other opportunities that came along. Um, But I think what you see in the Bible is when it comes to collective giving, you have giving for a purpose. Don't have giving for just sort of well, we're going to grow a big bank again. You have, you know, here's this need, here's this thing that we're doing. Now, this may be an accumulated thing. When they gave money for what Paul was going to take back to Jerusalem, it wasn't like you know, they gave it one Sunday. They accumulated over a period of time, but they had a purpose for it. They had a they knew what they were going to do with it. And sometimes we treat giving like Well, you're just supposed to give. Well, what are we going to do with the money? Well, we'll figure out something, but just give. I don't think it ought to be that way. I think it ought to be the opposite. I think we ought to have a purpose. I think there ought to be needs that drive our giving. And uh, I understand that there can be continuing needs. Um, But still, the point is not just, well, it comes Sunday and the church has got, you know, Uh, six-figure amount in the bank, uh, but i got to give this. Well, for what? Well, you know, you're just supposed to give. I don't think it's that way. I think the giving is based upon the need and the purpose that the group has. I probably said too much without letting you talk, so... Talk. You've always probably been programmed
2: too much to be... uh, To an exact figure or dollar amount, you know, my giving must equal this, and that that has made it difficult to um, broaden the horizon as far as the giving in in, into other areas. Yes, it's like okay, I give ten whatever. Well, now I'm going to help out somebody with fifty or with five of those, so that means only five go to the to the plate. Yes. Sunday you know the concept of that I think I've tried to be a little
0: more open we have this idea that there's a certain percentage that that's the Lord's the rest of it's ours <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's not true it's all the Lord's and uh, you know so yeah that that's a very good point
2: or if, if there's been a big need we gave a whole bunch well now we can cut way back <laughs> Because I'm ahead.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think deep down there is a there's a part of, part been a part of my thinking that you know there's somehow that weekly giving is buying your ticket. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how we'd have that concept that you know this 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 certain amount that's kind of the sacred amount, and beyond that you know I already gave at the office you know it's kind of like you know if I fulfilled my responsibility and just in all sorts of ways I mean wow I mean you know you've given and then there's another need arises if God gives us the abundance from which we can helps to supply the need would we say what would, would you do that with anything else you know, would you set a quota of the number of people you wanted to try to teach the gospel to in a year? Or the number of, I don't know, Bible studies you had or whatever. And then somebody comes along and wants you to teach them. I've already taught my people for the year. You have to wait till next year. You know, we wouldn't think about that that way, I hope. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you want to do all you can. You know, we so often think in terms of what's the least I have to do. Or what's what's the requirement. But I'm impressed by that passage in Matthew 25 where the people on Jesus' right in the judgment day, they weren't even aware that they had done those things for the Lord. It was just a part of their life. They just shared with others. They served, not thinking, well, well, this punch take it. Will that be enough? It just becomes your life. It's what you want to do. You know, you would serve to the extent that God gives you the opportunity and the abilities to do that. Uh... He doesn't give everybody the same opportunity to go. It's not everyone who can do everything. None of us can do everything. But but to those who are rich, who he's given greater prosperity, he's given abundance. Well, they need to be rich in good works. You know. It's probably I, I really suspect. You know that that the Lord would surely think that some people would be investing a greater percentage of their resources in these things than other people you know uh, the the more prosperity is given you the greater percentage of that you'd be able to use in serving others but i think i grew up with the mentality well you set your fixed percentage and that's what you do whether you give it to the church or whether you give it to other people whatever that's it you gave that percentage and if you're making a million dollars a week and you give your 10% or 15% or whatever you've chosen to do. Well, why would we want that? I mean, I think when we love God, we want to do all we can. I mean, you know, it's not like, oh, do I have to give this? a that, that shouldn't be the way we even think about it. I mean, what if Jesus had thought that? You know, I've got to give my life too? You know, I mean... You get we all belong to God. Everything we have, everything we are, is God's and we need to we need to be more unmaterialistic in thinking about that. So and it reminds
3: me of the little life series we heard about uh, at Edmund Crozier did about where to draw the line. You know, we're too concerned about where the line is and not as much concerned on what what we should be using the line. I mean, he always he said that, you know, we're so we're only reason we want to draw a line is so we can see how close we can get without going on that line. But it's more about the act, not just like how much. And I think you, something you said really struck a, like, rung a bell in my head was, do we think, oh, this I need this. This is my, I need it. No, you don't need it. You know, it, and then people say, well, I want it. Well, yeah, we understand you want it. Well, I'm not supposed to have what I want. Well, no, you're not supposed to have what you want. This life isn't about what you want. If this life is all about getting what you want, do you think Christ won and God on the cross? And if this life isn't about what we want or what we need, especially, God will provide our needs, we need to depend upon God, like he says. Commands them to do
0: instead of unlearning what we have. have. you seen good little kids at Christmas who have some presents they've managed to, you know make or get or draw or do whatever with, and they've got presents for them. Good little kids often are more excited about the ones they're giving than the ones they're giving. Have you seen that before? It gives you more pleasure. It's a, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, there is much more joy. There's much more fulfillment in what we can give than in what we get. If we really understood that, this would not be so difficult. It's not that you know I need to feel guilty about enjoying blessings God has given. We just covered that. Thank God He's given us prosperity. He's given us abundance. We've been able to enjoy many things. But I think we come to enjoy the most the, the blessings we're able to share the things we're able to do and serving others, it's so much better anything you hoard up for yourself isn't sort of turning bitter in your mouth things that you can deny yourself to share with others there's a much greater satisfaction than that if you can only understand
4: that and the earlier we learn that the and put into practice then the more of our lives that are just Filled with real joy, Amen. Unfortunately, that's usually a lesson you learn later. You know, you see people who are, I don't know, pick an age, maybe 60s, and they they've lived and they realize, looking back, all those things really don't matter now. And so now they get it. So why they have to wait 60 years to get it, or 43 years, or whatever? I wonder.
2: Our society makes it more difficult for us just uh, instant credit you know that, that to me makes it a little awkward I don't know a little difficult to to apply some of this you know when those brethren gave beyond their need I mean they were giving their next day's meal or whatever <coughs> what am I giving that well well so what I'm going to have two more payments on my house you know it, it's not a it's not hurting I don't even notice it if I, if I do that, so it almost makes it more difficult, you know, when there is a need sometimes, it's like, well, how much can you give? I could write you a check right now for, you know, six figures like you were talking, if you want, but is that, you know what I'm saying, that, and I'm still not going to feel it tomorrow, I'm still going to have food on the table and, so that there just extends my mortgage payments for <laughs> a few more years. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that makes any difference. It, it Maybe it's affecting the way I'm viewing it more than it should. But there's times I feel that way. It's like, okay, well, can you donate something to this? Well, sure. <laughs> you know? So what I have to do is try to figure out in my mind what is you know necessary, what is needed, what is uh, beneficial, and what is a sacrifice. Sometimes it's that. It's like, well, what would be a sacrifice, you know? Is a hundred dollars? I don't want to miss a hundred dollars. So that's not a sacrifice.
0: The joy is greater in the greater sacrifice, there's no doubt about it. I remember talking with that about this. It young son who's a really great kid and uh, I spent some time with the boy and told him about a situation. He later asked me, he said, Well I've got some money in the bank and he wanted if it was okay with his dad to give me a pretty good percentage of that money to give to the people I described and he needed help. And I talked to his dad about Dead, and he said you know he said to avoid his age that money the bank probably does not need for a while That's probably not a big thing but he said you know what really encourages me is he can have his favorite food or favorite candy or anything like that he'll see somebody else and he'll give it to them that's where he's making a sacrifice probably giving the money especially for a 10 year old that you know they don't connect it as well as what we do and so really there's a lot of times when you ride." Right, fact that the way our economy is set up, we don't necessarily sense the sacrifice very much, gives us less joy in the giving. Uh, uh, Perhaps it would be well if we tried to accompany our giving with some personal sacrifices. You know, maybe that would help more.
1: Maybe if we actually did sell a possession, yes, that would be a better demonstration to us of the value of what we're giving. I mean, even if you have a hundred dollars in the bank that you could just write <coughs> that back, maybe it would be better to eBay a few things or whatever.
0: Yes, it might be more meaningful. Or to give
1: something of value and use to somebody else instead of letting
0: them go buy their own. Yes, I agree. It means more, yeah
2: think we're also, one of the things, the, the fair trade uh, concept that we have in our minds is, is one thing. and almost like there has to be a certain return on your money. You know, if I'm giving money to a preacher or something, I want to know exactly what's, you know, being done. And, and giving, sometimes say, well, so-and-so's in, you know, having hard times. Well, have they been looking for a job? Have they been doing, you know, we maybe go overboard with with all of our qualifications on our on our giving. I don't know. I don't see anything that ever qualifies that. You know, we see a recommendation. I think from Paul or whoever it was that came from the other, you know, places that was taking the money back and telling them you know, their
0: situation or whatever it may be we don't have a lot of qualifications if any man wouldn't work neither let, let him eat something like that right. that might be a qualification in a sense in this one Thessalonians 3 um, certainly the principle of love don't give something that will hurt somebody you know um, but I agree with you I think we are just almost unreasonable in our demands in that way and those things can get to be very complicated, very difficult. I mean, that was a str- that has been a struggle from time to time in New Salisbury. The people we have given benevolence to, there should have been several, at least four, well, at least five I can think of in the last few years, which were given fairly significant benevolent help, were all of the people who really did not have much. I mean, there was no case there where you were financing something that by any American standing you think of an extravagant and even at that every once in a while I heard you know second guessing about one thing or another and and the thing that struck me about some of that is the people second guessing would not have batted an eye to have those things themselves or to do that themselves and so I don't know I think you know we can end up you know, being too ungenerous in our manner of giving. If we give, and yet we then put the person to the third degree, scrutinize every penny they spend and all of that, have we really been generous? I mean, are we really, and I'm not saying by that. I mean, I, I think there are times that giving to somebody can hurt them, and, and I think American generosity in foreign countries has sometimes done some terrible damage because we've just been very unwise and some people I think have used that almost pridefully to promote themselves because they have all this money they can dole out or whatever. But still, I do think it worries me when I am so critical. If I had anything to do with giving that money, then boy, they'd better toe the line in every step they make from here on out. Well, that's that's just not a good attitude. I mean, think about the Lord's generosity to us and how patient He is with us and just how, wow. I mean, if He ever held us to anything close to the standards we held one another to, oh my. There's nothing like studying the Bible to change your concept. (laughs) You know, because really, I mean, a lot of what I'm saying and what I've come to think in recent years has come from the Bible, which is really not in line with things that I cherished as principles growing up and even in my young adult life. You know, I've had to really continue to change the way I look at some of those things because the Bible passages are just different from the way I grew up thinking about it. And, you know, as we in New Salisbury had several opportunities to, uh, to help benevolently, and there's some questions were raised about that from time to time. I've preached several lessons on, you know, essentially, well, <clears throat> I don't remember, I think I did use this as a, a main passage one time, but uh, several lessons like on, Galatians 2.10 I bet you a passage you haven't thought about in this connection. They only ask us to remember the poor the very thing I also was eager to do. There are so many of those little passages that we ignore. That's in the circumcision question, all that you know, discussion and so forth, I think probably related to Acts 15. But the one thing they wanted to make sure we did, James, John, Cephas, whatever, was to remember the poor. And, and I was eager to do that. And, you know, as I've studied that more, and as I've preached several, uh, over the last few years, preached several lessons on that, the amount of material in the Bible on that is just enormous. Many Old Testament principles on that, and then New Testament passages all over the place. And it just floored me because I never tried to study it that way. And the more I've studied that, the more I look at it, it's like, wow. That is really a major thing, you see, even in the New Testament. And and yet I think not something I ever heard preached on, at least that I remember. Because it was
4: simplified down to giving on Sunday. Yes.
0: And then and then the collection used not for benevolence. <laughs> and our our government,
1: our system of society <laughs> takes care of people yes. who are poor, so we don't feel a personal responsibility to do anything for
0: anyone. And that's unfortunate, because to some extent it does, not nearly as well as some people are in need, but that does take away some blessings from us in being able to share with others. I mean, should
1: Christians be in that situation where they're uh, taking welfare from the government? or
0: should we allow our christian brothers and sisters to do what the Bible says to do but it may not be either or i know several people who have been, uh, government help and still need other help and uh you know i paid my taxes i'd like for them to be used for something worthwhile <laughs> but but it, i think it is overall a, a problem on in one sense on the other hand i think certainly it's a it's a thing to the extent that we have a government that does care for people who are in need that that is concerned with justice and righteousness and, and concern for the poor and so forth. I mean, that's a good principle that you see especially in the profits the government ought to be involved with so I'm pleased with that but you know sometimes we may be in situations where there are so many safety nets not only government wise but insurance wise and other things where we have less opportunity, uh, but but as I said, I think we can pray for opportunities, and I think we can think of opportunities in other places, and I think there are things that can be done. Uh, we just have to look for that more. And, and sometimes there are also ways of helping people that are not so directly financial. I mean, there are ways of, of helping people spiritually that require the operating money that may not be giving them money. But it may be, you know, providing them opportunities to go places. I know one of the men in the congregation, um, occasionally, but when there were several young people coming to studies, every once in a while, he would tell, you know, maybe half a dozen of them, uh, meet me at the gas station. I went to the study. I went to the Things like that. And yet, his reasoning was, they're using this gas to come to Bible studies and to do Bible studies and so forth, and they don't have a whole lot of money. And so he wanted to, to share with them that. You know, and, and, and other things that are even less than that. Um, you know, as, as we may, you know, um, see opportunities to help people that we may not give them money, but we may take them somewhere and do something with them that would be helpful, or, or whatever, there's lots of kinds of things that you can do.
1: You know basement your whole house to people
0: absolutely
1: (laughs) when i when i think about on some of the weekends here how much toilet paper they must go through (laughs) i mean just anything like that there's so much that is being supplied here because they want to provide spiritual food for people and there's so much more to it that we just take for granted absolutely
0: And what a blessing if we have a a, a big basement and we can use it that way, if we have a big car and we can use it to transport people for spiritual purposes, or if we have whatever it is that we have. I mean, sometimes, as we are blessed with material possessions, we can actually turn those things into a blessing for other people. And, And... I mean, you see churches meeting in different Christians' homes in the New Testament. Well, obviously, they had to have enough money to have the home. But they then turned that into a meeting place for the brethren. You know, it'd be bad if, you know, you needed a place to meet and every brother lived in a tent, you know, or whatever. So there are ways of of using even those kinds of things for the Lord. Or are there are ways of hoarding those up and thinking, this is mine, I don't really want people driving to, to my house, and I don't want people doing do
1: And when you've got opportunities to build a home, you know, I, I'm sure John and Liam, when they built their home, they considered how to make it someplace hospitable for others to enjoy. You well, know, um, the purchase of the 15-passenger van might seem over the top to some, but it's been used a lot.
0: Yeah, exactly, or even, you know, having a business where there are Christians that can be provided a living, you know, things (coughs) like that, sometimes those can be real blessings for others. So a lot of different ways, It's, it's not so much that, you know, how could you ever in this stipulate a dollar figure or anything like this? It's almost a mentality. You know, it's that we live for God, we live to serve others. And so we look for those opportunities we, I think, I really think, you know, in the best scenario, we don't even hardly realize it. You know, we don't think in those terms. We just are constantly seeking to serve. And and we, you know, we don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. You know, it would be better if, as we gave, we didn't even really think about it. You know, it's just a part of our nature. It's a part of what you want to do. It's part of your life. And, uh, you don't want to become very cold and calculating. <laughs> you know, it almost loses the joy.
1: I think, um, a lot of times we wait until somebody asks. We know the need's there but we wait until they ask anyway.
0: Yeah, that stinks, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible to ask. And
1: it, a lot of times they suffer for a long time before they ask and we just let them. And, I I
0: let And the generosity of people who serve others without being asked is such an encouragement. And, and, and you know, I mean, and that applies to non-material things as well. I mean, you know, even a card or a letter or, or whatever. I mean, there, there are lots of ways to serve and, and really help and uplift people. Where they haven't asked for it, but you serve them, and some of them may not cost but, you know, 41 cents for a, you know, stamp, or whatever it is now, I do 42. Oh, is it really? Is it going up? Cool. So, I mean, it become a of major investment, but... You um. <laughs> <laughs> hand delivery. The discussions, good comments. Do you have other comments or suggestions on all of them?
4: Well, I think our I think as you mentioned before, our selfish indulgences of ourselves a lot of times cripple our ability then to help when the need comes along because we've committed ourselves to this, that, and the other. It comes down to you're going to have to sell something if you're going to have anything to do with. It goes back to that instant credit mentality that we live in, and I mean, you're a weirdo if you don't have X number of credit cards and or loans or whatever, right? I mean, it's the American way, isn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah. But it hinges it, it, it on your ability to, to be able.
0: Good point. Good point. Yeah, I mean... You just need to get over self-indulgent thinking. We don't need to be thinking about ourselves. We need to think about certain. And then you can have contentment. Absolutely. Good comments. I thought we were kidding when we said we wouldn't get out of first I say see. Yeah. Anything else you want to say on those three verses? <laughs> well, maybe we can, uh, you know, go real lightly and get the next two in before we put uh, 20 and 21. You'll see
2: perfect. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge
0: which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Alright, uh, that's kind of an interesting conclusion. But he wants to get one more time this point in to be careful with false teachers. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Pass it on exactly like you've received it. And don't listen to these so-called knowledgeable folks who've gone astray from the faith that's a big worry it was a worry from the very beginning in first timothy 1 verse 3 as i urged you upon my departure from macedonia remain on at ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines that's so what he starts with that's what he ends with his worry here most of all is the ephesians succumbing to these false teachings and he wants timothy to toe the line on teaching the truth and not letting these guys who act like they know what they're talking about gain the upper hand uh, there is a truth to be preserved to be defended and uh, God cares what we believe and what we teach and what we practice and uh, so, so I mean Timothy has a responsibility it's not a pleasant one who likes to have to you know Combat false teachers and false teaching. who like to have to, you know, uh, uh, oppose uh, the the arguments of what's falsely called knowledge. We we <laughs> seek to avoid conflict. You know, is there a compromise we can work out? But clearly, God gave us the truth of the gospel, and it must be defended and preserved. And there will be times in churches where people will begin to teach things that are not biblical and that they need to be opposed and you know that's not the most pleasant Bible teaching for me I, that's not something I really enjoy talking about or thinking about but it's, it's exactly what God wants and we need books like First Timothy to, to encourage us and push us to see the need to defend the truth the grace be with you the U is plural, and it's probably an indication that this book was intended to be read to the church at Ephesus and not just received by Timothy. And that's what I know about those last two verses. Do you guys have comments and questions on those? What else? We belong <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is such a quiet group. we just stop there then since we've we'll come to the end of the book and we can just uh, work on Second Timothy uh, next week as far as I know right now I'll be here for the foreseeable Mondays for a while
1: so